back, man, to a new episode of Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. You got the, you know, familiar faces that you always do with, with your boys. You got to build a real deal. My boy, Vala the Bala. What to do, my G? How you been, man? Good to be here. Good to be with you, man. It's been a while since we recorded live. Uh, the city of Houston is panicking. It's struggling. 50, 60 degrees outside. People are wearing <laughs> Han Solo life vests. <laughs> Um, but we're still here. We're still recording, and we got some interesting topics yeah. to dive into today, Nabil. Why don't you tell the listeners what we're going into? And before you do, y'all can just always find us on social media, Twitter, at NotWeeklyPod, or you can follow me at The Real Volleyball. I got some spice for you, too. Um, and stay tuned every week for new episodes. Nabil, tell the listeners what we got for them this week, man. Yeah, dude. So, you know, considering that's a new year, so happy New Year's to you, by the way, and happy New Year's to all of our fucking listeners. We thought it was just as, you know, pretty a good time right now to revisit a discussion that I think we started our fucking podcast with, Vala. And that's revisiting that old debate of the NCAA versus the G League. I think there were some significant changes that occurred on both sides on the G League and specifically the NCAA that I think warrants a rediscussion on what we had from our first original podcast, bro. So I'm hella fucking excited <laughs> to go back on this one. First episode ever. Yeah. 2020, the start of COVID. Jesus Christ, man. What a time. What have um, we done? Yeah, man. You know, we basically we broke down the mindset of a high school athlete and where they would be from the standpoint of is it more lucrative to a player to go straight into the pros from high school or go the NCAA route? And what changes did we expect to see? Right. This is this is right around the time where the NBA G League Ignite presented an opportunity for high school players to come straight to the G League on a five hundred thousand dollar contract and showcase their talents and benefit from it. And the NCAA really had no answer for it at the time. People were projecting what's going to happen, where are we going to go, is the NCAA going to have a rival in the college scene? Um, And then, you know, a lot has gone down since then that we need to discuss. One of the big things, man, that we discussed with Tanner on our NFL episode regarding why the NFL is top dogs in ratings is the profitability of being an NCAA player now. Do you remember the rule that we discussed that the yeah. NCAA passed? Tell the people about it, man. That's I think that's relevant to what we need to Yeah, know. so are we talking about the one and done are we, are we talking about the one and done rule here or what, what rule are you referring to? The rule about them benefiting from their name, being able oh, to merchandise yeah. themselves. Yeah, the fact that you can actually, you know, so this is a great time to actually talk about the trivia question that I have for you, Vala. So for all the listeners, this is literally probably the best segue I could have asked for. <laughs> so how much so we all know, you know, Whoever watches college football, any football fan, that year that Reggie Bush won the Heisman at yeah. USC, everybody fucking knew him. He was the big dog. He was on Sports Center the whole fucking time. So my question is, how much money did Reggie Bush receive during his time at USC, which caused him to forfeit his Heisman? It's going to be like really small, or it's going to be a ridiculous amount. I'm going to go with four million, three hundred thousand dollars. Oh my That's god! It. So get this. So how much? So analysts, I think this is at McKinsey yeah. or one of these large consulting firms that they ran the numbers. And how much do you think analysts believe that Reggie Bush would have made today with the changes impl- implemented by the NCAA in one year? Closer to the number that I gave, probably four million. Five million, yeah, right there. Five million dollars that he man that he could have made. Dude, we were in uh, we were what middle school kids in yeah. Houston at that time. It was I believe the. What was it, the 2004 season? Yeah, 2004, think, yeah. 2005. That was that Rose Bowl, yeah, the fucking Rose Bowl season. Right, the UT. classic yeah. Vince Young showdown, USC-UT, last drive. Vince Young immortalizes himself in the NCAA scene. Brother, I, I've never in my adult life seen a Houstonian wearing a USC jersey, but I remember kids in Sartarsha Middle wild. School 
and Travis High School wearing USC jerseys yeah. because of Reggie Bush. So you're absolutely nail on the head on this. Yeah. So I, I, I then that, that was the thing, right? Like, there's people that, especially now we see this in college sports, right? And it makes you think, you know, imagine some of these teams that we talk about. We talk about likabilities, or just to warrant back to your point of how players now are going to be finally able to, you know, make money off of their name, right? If they want to market their name out, they can trade market. They can do whatever they want to to actually make money, and it's no longer going to make them ineligible. Right. And because of that, this just makes me want to think of all these NBA teams, all of that. I think of like, imagine uh, the most recent example I could think of, right? The whole fucking the Duke trio that you have with RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Zion Williamson. Imagine if those three dudes were able to make money off of their name at Duke and how much money they probably would have gotten that year, right? Like, it, it's crazy for me to think about how much money these top NCAA talents can end up making now just because of their name likeness and how often they're going to be on television. A big part of, you know, I feel like a big part of that is reliant on the NCAA's grasp on the pulse of the nation when it comes to young prospects, right? And a big threat to them was what the G League Ignite did in forming this kind of trio of top prospects in Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, and I think his name was Isaiah Todd. He was the 31st pick of the draft, uh, and he hasn't really done anything. He's been mostly a G League player this year. And so this NCAA ruling was, I think, a direct response to that and trying to remain top dog. So let's kind of get into that, man. You know, when we did that podcast a year ago, we kind of did the outline of the NCAA side of things. Let's talk about the G League. Yeah. Right. So the G League that first year brought in, basically, they told these high school kids, brought them in and said, you're going to work with world class trainers, basketball guys and NBA vets to really hone your craft for the professional level. Sure, man. I mean, I'm sure like Kentucky and Duke and, you know, the top dog, North Carolina, the top dog, elite NCAA programs have some pretty good basketball training programs, but it doesn't compare to the G League, mm-hmm. at least from what I've read online. So they're telling you, you get that. You get a $500,000 contract. And on top of that, if you have any injury or you have any any kind of like tear where you decide not to continue pursuing basketball, you they have a partnership. I forget what college it was. It was Arizona State. They have a partnership with Arizona State where you get a full ride academic scholarship to Arizona State if you decide to stop pursuing basketball. And, you know, from the outlook, it looked great. Jalen Green, top two prospect. There was a brief moment in the NBA offseason where we were discussing Jalen Green potentially being the number one pick overall. Didn't end up happening, but still. Jonathan Kaminga was one of the top five guys. You know, Isaiah Todd was a first-round prospect. And things looked good. And the NCAA dropped this bomb on them. So, Nabil, I want to ask you, man, with the G League this year, I know you you haven't been following them or anything, so I'll give you the reality in a second, but what would it take for you to kind of have the G League step up and deliver a counter response to this profitability merchandising ruling that the NCAA passed. Yeah, it's a stretch, man. We, when we talked about this a little bit offline, but I think the only like the only stretch I feel like the G League has from like a you know value add perspective that they can do now is going to be putting implementing some sort of profit sharing. I think that's I think we've gotten to that point that 
the NCAA is kind of, I, I personally think the NCAA kind of put their foot down and just is at the throat of the G League now because of this, right? Like the earning potential that these top players have at these established programs is going to be much more than whatever they can give you right now at the G League for at least one year. So I think because of it, the G League needs to come out and say, all right, your earning potential has to be something that can, you know, double or triple that of what you can essentially get being at Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, you know, ETC. Um, if you implement profit sharing, I think it, it directly pushes the player that's in that G League program to be more than just a basketball player and kind of be an ambassador to that actual franchise that took them in and act kind of in a way as an NBA player and, you know, take it on as that. Like LeBron's a Laker, right? Like, you know, these guys that are these top NBA guys, their identity is also associated with the team that they're in. You're really not going to find that with the G League. So if you wanted to end up doing that, take these players, give them the incentive of profit sharing, meaning that if we end up getting more views, if we end up getting more money, that's your money, mm. right? If the owners end up making $500 million extra that they didn't project that they were going to get that year, guess what? A little chunk of that 500 million, maybe it's 50 million. That could be yours. You know, that earning potential that you can have is right there. You know, if they're the, in the you know, this is what you're hoping for. If you're a G League player, similar to, you know, somebody in corporate America dropping, uh, leaving a big company and going into a startup is the hope of them getting that deal, right? End up, if you, if the G League ends up becoming a big deal, ends up being bigger, they end up getting some sort of deal on their own from ABC, ESPN, you name it. And that deal's worth three, $400 million. Well, each one of these G League players has the opportunity to make millions of dollars off of that alone if you implement a profit sharing rule. So here, here's where it gets interesting. You know, the G League is is a very peculiar case because the G League Ignite is a completely, I don't know if you're familiar with this, man. It's a completely different experience mm-hmm. from any other G League team. They travel different. They have different quality of jerseys, of shoes, merchandising. The locker room for the G League Ignite is different. The facilities are different. The trainers are different. Everything is a level up where the other G League teams don't have. Mm -hmm. You know, the contracts, $500,000 for these high school kids, they make more than almost every player in the G League, Mm -hmm. if not every player in the G League. So I'm interested to see, you know, when you talk about profit sharing, the G League Ignite, it's its own category in itself in the space of the G League. With that profit sharing be exclusive to the ignite or would you want to implement it throughout the G league to I think kind of blow up the G yeah league? i think you probably if you're if you're going to do it properly you know i think the best way you could be able to do it is simply what the ncaa is also doing and which you're kind of vetting it out between the top i guess whoever's bringing in the most revenue type of thing right like we look at the ncaa players like you know are whoever you know uh Chet Holmgren is going to make more technically than the college volleyball player at Gonzaga, right? Like it's just going to happen because he brings in more revenue. I think you'd have to implement that sort of thing. Meaning whoever the top dogs are at the G league, they're obviously going to make more in a profit sharing perspective than your 10th guy that you would have on their G league team. So I think you have to implement a proportionality perspective in that perspective, you know, in that perspective. Cause I, and you know, if you're going to make this work really, you know, you're going to, you're trying to have these top talents that are going to be number one, number two, you know, lottery picks in the NBA draft, obviously. If you're going to have these guys come in, then they're going to have to make a significant portion of that money for them to actually take that into consideration over choosing an NCAA team. Because I think those that's your target audience that you're trying to get is these top NBA, you know, these top NBA ready guys that have an option to have another place, not, you know, a guy who's probably going to be 11th or 12th man on, on a rotation somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I there that's the only way I think it works too. Um and from a profit sharing standpoint, I think it it's going to take like a roster of real prospects to make that happen, right? Oh, yeah. 
I mentioned last year that team was a mix of a bunch of vets like Jared Jack, Amir Johnson, guys who really I don't think could like run on an NBA court anymore. And then the three prospects I mentioned. I think this year's team, man, it's it's exciting. Like they haven't been in the limelight just like last year's team. But basketball guys know their value, just like Jalen Green, man. You talk about profit sharing. Like how many people heard about Jalen Green over the course of like March Madness or from like January to March, that stretch of G League basketball? How many guys knew that he dropped 30 plus in the G League playoffs and almost got his team past the first round? Oh, dude. No, like we didn't hear about him. (laughs) I I saw him on YouTube highlights when when like the draft got closer and closer. And I thought to myself, how the fuck have I not heard of this guy up to this point? Same things going on this year, but there's more guys, man. You know, they've let me just kind of give you a little rundown of the people we have and where I think that puts the G League in terms of their projections of where they think they're going to be popularity wise going forward. You've got Jaden Hardy. A lot of people had him as the number one or maybe number two pick of the draft before the year started, having a decent season with the Ignite, 18 points a game, four and four, pretty bad splits. You know, he's like 36% from the field. Dyson Daniels, Australian prospect. He can be a first-round guy. Marjan Beauchamp, 6'7 wing. He's been all over the world. He's only 20 years old. He's one of the prospects. Michael Foster Jr., big guy. Fan Bozeng, who a lot of people project as the best Chinese player since Yao Ming. And then the most interesting one, which I think changes the game here. This is one we need to stop on and discuss, man. Scoot Henderson. Mm-hmm. The 16-year-old kid playing for the G League Ignite who reclassified in high school to go one graduate one year early so that he could go to the G League and pursue this professional career early on. He's a 6'3 guard. He's the best prospect on this team, um, but he's not eligible to be drafted until 2023 because he won't be 18, mm-hmm. which is the minimum age requirement, of course. This is where I think we need to discuss... The model, the European model that a lot of teams have of bringing in teenagers, man, bringing in like 15, 16 year olds and developing them out in a professional setting like that. I don't know what kind of legislation or what kind of regulations they would have to pass to take high school kids and basically, you know, I don't know if they would need a GED by the time they got 18 or they would have to have some form of education outside of it. I I don't know. Maybe you know better. But if the G League starts to tap into that kind of like club league model that the European soccer organizations have, I think it can start to get really interesting. And you can kind of build the hype behind a team full of 15, 16, 17-year-old guys who are coming of age in different kind of time brackets. And that, I think, is where things get dangerous for the NCAA. I don't think we're there yet. And I don't think we're close to being there yet. But this Scoot Henderson kid, just if you're listening to this, guys, just look up a YouTube highlight of this guy on the Ignite and tell me he doesn't look like an NBA guy right now. This is Steve Francis mold, basically, which could be a good or bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) So to your point, bro, like I I worry about a couple of things with that. Right. And the only my main worry that I think just off the bat is how strong of a hold the AAU circuit has in American basketball and how strong of like. You know, for for the top talent in the NBA, you know, or top talent in basketball, they all play in the AAU, and that AAU team is, you know, there pretty much for them until 18. So unless that 15, 16, 17 year old kid that you're pretty much, you know, Ronaldo was fucking pro by the time he was 12, I think, for for Manchester. So you know, if you're going to be implementing that, I think you're going to have to. It's going to be tough because it's like, all right, do you do school? You know, how, how do you implement school with it? 
are they technically considered professionals then? Have they completely, you know, given up their amateur eligibility? Because then you have labor laws that you're going to have to deal with as well. I, I, man, they're, I, I think from idealistically, that would be really, really nice to have and be able to see. Cause I think there's a market for high school basketball, right? Like fucking Sierra Canyon games are, are highlighting ESPN for crying out loud, right? Dude, people watch, uh, there's this guy, Devonte Frigga on YouTube. He's a YouTube basketball guy, goes to local parks, goes to fucking high school gyms and hoops with people. Gets like 750,000 views an episode. So if there's a market for that, there's a market for high school guys like yeah. you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, no, Bronny James and like Zaire Wade, like we we literally see, see them ESPN on a seven o'clock game. Like yeah. these are games that are usually given to like NBA primetime games, right? Like even if it's like a Denver Nuggets or you know Lakers matchup or something, you know, not too 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 crazy, dude. That shit's being usurped by a Syria Canyon game. Like that's that's crazy to me. So if you're doing that, then you know that's a pretty big hold that the that the amateur circuit still has. So I would I think it's going to take somewhat of a cultural shift. I'm I'm all for it. But, you know, I think that kind of harkens back to my point is that I remember last time, Vol, like you made a very strong case and your case was that the G League is the better, you know, alternative right now for an athlete to take over the NCAA. And you're very gung ho on that. And I kind of just want to revisit that. Are you still in that? You know, is that still your your position right now? Or has that changed after all these changes that we've seen implemented by the NCAA? No, it's changed, man. Um, that profitability rule, the numbers he threw out with Reggie Bush, thinking about guys like right now, you know, the probably like the fourth best player in college basketball is more well known than the best G League Ignite guy, who's who's probably a better probably. ready now prospect yeah. than three of those top four guys. I'll think so. Yeah, I mean, like I, I think Chet, like yeah, I, I think like Chet's not as good as any of these other guys. I think the only argument that there's there for me, in my opinion, right now is Jabari. Uh, Jabari is the only one I think that can, from a talent perspective, competes with the other guys from Ignite. Do you think any? So like your number one guy right now. Uh, not to spill our beans on the draft, you know, in fucking December, <laughs> January, but your number one guy is Paulo right now, right? Paulo Banchero? No, Jabari. It's Jabari, Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith's been a Wow. Right okay. Now. So, yeah. you, how much money do you think Jabari Smith is making at Auburn right now? Probably a couple mil, if not more. A couple so, million, really? Would, and I'll tell you this why. If you remember, Charles Barkley has made it very clear that he, that he, players at Auburn got paid under the table. Mm. There was a very famous interview that happened uh, in, um, this was during the All-Star game. I forget where it was, but it was in the All-Star game and Charles Barkley had come into the Western Conference locker room and made a story about how he met Dirk Nowitzki for the first time and how essentially Dirk was going to state that he wanted to go to the army and Chuck was pretty much saying, no, fuck that. He's not going to the German army and a seven footer in the fucking army is not going to work for you at all. Come to Auburn. Auburn will pay you probably $3 million under the table and whatnot and we'll get you, we'll get wow. you there. This is the so, 90s. If this exactly so, if this was the '90s, and you know Chuck is talking about giving Dirk Nowitzki, who wasn't you know a great, great known talent at that time, right? We keep it's an experiment. Yeah, like Dirk was never Dirk. never played in the elite European leagues. He played in like German B leagues. Yeah. How long did it also take Dirk to actually become a star in the NBA? It wasn't his first year, right? Yeah. Like and that's the same thing. Like he wasn't a developed talent. If he was getting two million dollars on the table, what's somebody like fucking Jabari who looks like <laughs> you know he, he looks NBA ready? He looks like he'd be a starting power forward in this league right now. Yeah. Like what you know what is that? What is that? The, the fuck do you think he's getting paid on the table? It's easily that or then some, right? Like, I, w- I would think that. I think there's some numbers. I think this opens the the floodways for, like, illegal or under-the-table stuff, and it doesn't have to be told. So I, I really do believe it's a couple of million dollars that he's getting. And, you know, I think back to, you know, you reminded me when you brought up the Reggie Bush USC season. I think back to Matt Leinart, man. You yeah. know, Matt Leinart, the year prior to that season we discussed, the Heisman-Reggie Bush year, Matt Leinart was the Heisman, right? Matt Leinart was the number one prospect in the draft, in the 03 draft. 
decided to forego the NFL season because, bro, top dog on campus at USC, all the ladies, West Coast, you got the West Coast breeze, you don't have to do shit in class, everyone does your work for you, and... You know, you can kind of jack around at the at the young age of 19, 20, 21 years old yeah. and enjoy your youth a little bit more. So if you can get that and the money, I think the NCAA 100% is the way to go. And, you know, look, reinforcement for that argument comes in the form of, look at Jalen Green this year, man. Yeah. Did the G League really give him a step up over guys like Cade, over guys like Scotty Barnes? Yeah. Guys like, you know... <laughs> a myriad of other players who are having similar, if not better seasons than him. I don't know. Yeah. You know, that argument will evolve over time with how Jalen green develops, but that argument Mobley, right? Mobley plucking out one year at USD. Yeah. Mo- Mobley is probably the best rookie in that draft right now. He's my yeah. rookie of the year so far. Oh really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's between him and Barnes, but yeah. Mobley gets the edge because he's on a better team. Okay. That's the only thing. Um, we'll see what happens now that they've got injuries, but yeah, man, I, I think it's the NCAA and it's not even close. And where we go from here is going to be interesting because both sides have been reactionary on yeah. this. So we're going to see who kind of makes the proactive step to to separate themselves. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, right? And it's kind of wants to get like it kind of makes me want to think and kind of do a little revisit with you, bro, about like I look back at some of these teams, right? And I just kind of want to like just go on this trip with you and think of the financial incentives these historic NCAA teams would have made if they were under this, you know, under this new umbrella of rules that we have. There's two teams I kind of want to talk to you specifically about. That first team, that Kentucky team that had the Harrison twins. Oh yeah, had Cat, Devin Booker, and Julius Randall on that team. Yeah, how much do you think Julius Randall was on Julius that team? Julius Randall was on that first. That was the year that Aaron Andrew were freshmen, and Julius was the junior on that team Fuck. as well. Yeah, and the year right afterwards, you had Devin Booker, and uh, yeah, you had Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, imagine what that team of like you know fucking five All Star guys like would be able to make on on there, right? Like it just, I, I don't know. It, it's, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on how much do you think like a team like that would be able to make or anything, man. Undefeated. Yeah. You know the story. There was no Cinderella story that year. It was just, hey, we got to follow these guys on their journey in March Madness. Let's see if they can really do this thing. And of course, they didn't. They lost to Wisconsin, and the rest is history. Uh, Aaron had the famous man, fuck that, yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> under his breath at the micro at the microphone post game conference. But man, Aaron and Andrew obviously were busts. Um, Devin Booker, all star. Julius Randle, all-star. Carl Anthony Towns, all-star. And I think they had like one or two more guys on the bench that ended up being yeah. first or late or early second round pick guys. James Young, Dakari Johnson, Alex Poitras. Like, <laughs> like it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like. Probably uh, that 20 million at least between those five guys, just yeah. the starting lineup. And, and, and that's literally what I'm trying to get because it makes me think like from the perspective of, okay, like, you know, Cat, Booker. Randall, these guys got their hundred million dollar deals, right? Like that's their money is not at the issue. Obviously, I'm not saying that Aaron Andrew and James Young and all these guys aren't making well. I'm sure they're making a lot of money, work, you know, playing overseas as they are. But my whole thing is like if you were able to just lock in the bag of four to five million dollars, you know, right then and there, I guess I think it makes it so much easier that yo, if I don't succeed, you know, in getting this hundred million dollar deal in the NBA, then. I already secured the fucking bag in college. Like I'm good. I don't have to work for shit for the rest of my life. I think that should be something that really helps because it's like, yo, if you're going to a program like the Kentucky team that we talked about and what we talked about earlier with the with the Duke team with Zion, RJ, and Cam, it's okay if you don't end up making the NBA, right? It's completely okay if you don't end up making 
an all-star level team because dude, by the time you were 19, 19 years old, you made $5 million. Yeah. Be smart with that money and you literally don't have to do anything for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know? yeah. And you see these players get that advice and that counseling from an early age now. That's been one of the positive changes in the basketball scene. So you're absolutely right. And Yeah. Go and ahead. I was going to say the other team I wanted to talk to you about, and I think we talked about the more modern one, but just the OG. Imagine the Fab Five. Oh my god! With fucking Michigan, Juwan Howard, th- that whole squad of what they were culturally. Imagine they, if they would have they would have made so much money, brother. They would have ran a strip club better than James Harden and wow. all of his goons. It yeah. would have it would have been dangerous. Like that so? level of competition rarely comes around. You know, we see it wow. sometimes, like Game Seven, Caps Warriors twenty uh, twenty sixteen, but. I think this is one of those moments where they could rival James Harden and the goons. Damn, that's that's saying something right there, my guy. Yeah, and and, and you know even <laughs> even even to that, like I always think, like bro, I'm not gonna lie. I think the contract the Fat Five would have been able to get during this era would have been more than the first contract they would have gotten in the NBA. How known were these guys collectively other than Juwan Howard when they went to the NBA? Yeah, I mean, Chris Webber got traded <laughs> like draft night. Yep. There was controversy around him his first four years. Um, and then imagine how often they were on television and how, how fucking famous they were at Michigan collectively than how they were individually. Jalen Rose was on NBA finals teams and he still never reached that level of, of fame, right? Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. That's... I mean, college, think about a guy like Christian Leitner. His his college earnings would have, you know, absolutely seismically exceeded anything he earned throughout his his illustrious yeah. journeyed NBA career, nonetheless, but still, yeah. his, his Duke earnings would have been ridiculous. I know, and it also makes me think from the football perspective as well, right? And we're, being in Texas, bro, Johnny Football. Imagine if fucking Johnny Football was able to actually make money off his name at A&M during that whole craze as well. Yeah, like, no, he, he would have gotten into some really expensive drugs. Bro, that's some. Um, we're talking about some Wolf of Wall Street shit, huh? Yeah, some Quaaludes and whatnot. yeah, he's he's humming with Matthew McConaughey every morning Ooh, with the bongos and everything, huh? That's, that's it. loving mm-hmm. life, bro. So you know, I guess then the, the question becomes: Your wallet, like, do you expect top talent to still consider the G League? Like, let's look at these top guys that we're talking about, right? Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, Jabari, uh, you know, uh, Jabari Smith from Auburn, and then you obviously have uh, Paulo Banchero from Duke, right? These three top guys that are probably the the you know the top class NCAA guys right now. Do you see, you know, do you expect them to consider the G League? Like, do you, would you expect any of these guys to consider the G League as their option based off what we've seen for them right now this year in the NCAA? I mean, it's happening. Like, those guys specifically, obviously, that ship has passed, but it's still happening, man. Like, we've seen an expansion of high-talent guys to the G League Ignite just this year compared to last year. So if you want to go by trends, if you want to go by, you know, a fucking... 16-year-old kid reclassified himself to get to the G League. Yeah, I think I think more guys are going to start going, but again, man, like they're not going to have the platform. They're not probably not going to make as much money, so that's going to be a deterrent. But the true basketball heads, I think, want to be with the G League Ignite. So let me ask you this. The whole thing that we talked about with Scoot as well, do you not think that the NCAA would, could also implement the point of, hey, man, if you want to play four years or three years at Duke under Shevsky or, you know, play three, four years at Kentucky, probably get a couple of national championships out of it if you're spending three, four years. At, probably easily would probably get a couple of national championships out of it. Do you think that means more to scoot at that point than being two, three years at the G League. Cause personal man, it's, yeah. it comes down to personal choice. I don't know. See, Vol, cause that's the thing. Like people have such short attention spans, right? Like I look at it as somebody like, like scoot, Bro, like, who are you going to be? Like, your name is famous right now, but next year, there's probably some other kid who's probably going to be in the same position that your name now is, you know, on the back end for. But 
fuck if he went to duke and he won like three rings like you're 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 forever goaded right like that national championship you win is going to be worth so fucking much that you're goaded for so long so i look at that and it's like yeah what's it to say another 16 year old just says fuck it i'm gonna get my gd at 16 but i could stay three years at duke by the time i'm 19 years old i could still be eligible for the draft right i think that's kind of like where i see that the ncaa can still do that for a 16 year old but i guess to your point yeah it's like hey how much do you value is there a number that you guys have on the professional development the g league offers right like is that number more than what you think that you can make in the ncaa if the answer is yes then by all means do what you got to do you know in one th- a point you brought up on the inaugural first episode ever that we did was uh basically <laughs> what was interesting to me was and i don't think players consider this right away is you're goaded you know, you mentioned if you win a ring at Duke, you win a national championship at North Carolina, you're goaded. And the lifetime earning potential of being a Duke alum uh, on a famous team. I mean, I'm sure, you know, they had those Fab Five guys had to profit off the 30 for 30 documentary, Easily. right? Easily. Like just their name alone. I'm sure there were some commercials I saw them in afterwards. They ran like a major tour press across the national outlets. They went on like late night shows. They were on ESPN. They were on panels. So, you know, that's something in the back pocket of a college player that I don't think a lot of these guys consider right away. And you're the only one who exposed me to that side of the argument. So just to put that out there on the ether here, I think that's something that the NCAA should market more. And I'm sure they do when they pitch these things to the players. Uh, We just don't hear about it. Yeah, no, and I think... It's just so tough for me because I think that the the G League has the talent. And my whole thing is like I'm just really surprised right now that the G League hasn't thrown some sort of tournament in or something that can like get eyes in front of this product. Because I don't, bro, I, I don't even know the G League's on cable or any of these you know broadcasting services, right? Like if I can't find it on ESPN or if I can't find it on Fox Sports or you know even ABC or whatever it may be, how the fuck am I supposed to find these games? Right, like, dude, college basketball, like we, we, the U of H game, U of H is the number sixteen team in the country, and their game's on ESPN right now. Right, like that's crazy for me to think about, but I've never, you know, seen one fucking, one, one fucking lick of the, any of these prospects this year. So I'm, I guess I'm, that's also like an opportunity where I'm like, how come I don't see the G League teams? I don't know. Yeah, they they need to do a better job of getting it off the off the table. But you know, think about where they were before, yeah. just four or five years ago. There were certain G League teams you couldn't like get a broadcast on. Yeah. And now there's packages, of course, like, you know, there's all sorts of league passes and cable subscriptions where you could get them on, but they're moving in the right direction. They're not, they're certainly not there yet. You're absolutely right. It's impossible to find like a conveniently a good G League game to watch, at least the Ignite. YouTube highlights are there, mm-hmm. you know, streaming services make things all the more available. And I think they'll, keep moving in the right direction to increase their notoriety and, you know, getting these top prospects names out there. So we'll see. I, there's not an answer for it right now, man, but it's going to be interesting to see, like I mentioned before, what the G League does in reaction to this NCAA ruling yeah. because they're behind right now, man. Even though they've made progress, even though they've got these prospects and they're moving in the right direction and they're, the choices and things they can offer to these players is increasing – they're still behind. You still, you know, the names that dominate the headlines are still Paulo Banchero, yeah. Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Jaden Ivey, right? Uh, Jalen Hardy is like a background guy right now. Yeah. Uh, you, when I mentioned his yeah, name, I you hadn't even heard of him, I didn't right? fucking know who this guy was, bro. Yeah, top prospect out of high school, out of the high school class. Mm-hmm. And he's a back burner right now because of what you mentioned. So I don't know what happens, man. I, I, <laughs> I'm i not a smart enough guy to be able to break down the societal, cultural 
uh, and sporting implications of this, but it's going to be fun to watch at least. Dude, I'm excited, man. So it took one year and we've seen all these changes. I, I feel like we're, this is going to be one of those recurring discussions that we'll see again in 2023 and look back upon and say, all right, the G League you know, implemented this now. So where, where are we at with this? Have they have they gotten the upper hand of this better than what we have with the NCAA? Yeah, so I think we need to have the listener, basically, if you only watch this, epi- this podcast for this episode and this topic, just put a little like calendar note for... Where are we at right now? Let's do January 4th, 2023. Revisit us <laughs> on Not Your Weekly Sports Pod. We'll talk about this again. We're here for you, man. We're here for you. Paul, is there any closing comments or anything else that you want to say about this? Just, just one question. I need it. What can the NCAA do to entice these top guys to stay all four years? No, nothing. No, uh, impossible? The only, money, dude. That's it. Like, give me. I would say this. By the time you're, you have your fourth year, there has to be some sort of progression to say, if you got $3 million in your first year, by the time you're in your fourth year, you need to make at least twenty. You think if these guys stay four years, the NCAA even gets close to the NBA market? Yes. That's 100%. a scary thought, yes. man. Imagine if... <laughs> bro, if, that's, if we're talking about that right now, RJ Barrett... Cam Reddish and Zion Williamson would be right now in their, their senior season at Duke. Dude, Zion Williamson at like a all-you-can-eat cafeteria at Duke, though, that's that's dangerous. That's I dangerous. don't think he would survive a three Duke seasons. But a dude that just averaged, came off his rookie season averaging, what, like fucking 25 and like 15? Like, so last year, his sophomore year, 27 and basically like 7 or 8 on 60% from the field. This dude is giving you that in the NBA. What the fuck you think he's going to give you in the NCAA against somebody like Chet? He's dropping like, oh, wow, he probably eats Chet. Yeah. Yeah, he probably, it's probably like a... I don't know, like a cinnamon stick. Yeah, it probably. Cam Reddish is playing lights, has been playing lights out the past 15 days or past 20 days for the for the Hawks. And RJ Barrett, we literally had as one of our top guys for last year as well. So imagine these three guys stay until they're are playing currently in the NCAA with the competition. They that's have a today. that's a fun topic to revisit at some point. Think about like the greatest NCAA like 18, 19 year old teams. The Kentucky team we just talked about. Imagine a fucking Booker cat. Oh uh, my god. Yeah, Booker cat. If you have Booker fucking cat, <laughs> uh, Julius Randle and the Harrison's twins still play for five for for four years. <laughs> you have three All NBA guys and two guys that were the number one, number two shooting guard of their fucking class. John Wall and Demarcus Cousins Stay with Eric years. Bledsoe running a pick and roll for four years. Yeah, that's- and I mean, also, I think to the point, you've perfected that too, right? I think that that would make it a really strong case for those guys that played. If you played at Duke for four years and you, let's say, if you're RJ Barrett and, you know, these guys right here and you end up winning four, you know, four rings or three rings at this time, what's it to say your second contract in the NBA, you're Zion Williamson and you're RJ Barrett and you both are in free agency and you look at each other and say, yeah, it's time. It's time. I mean, if you're not, if you're not John, like what, if what's it to your point that you just made with John Wall and Marcus Cousins, do you think they would have waited that long in the NBA, you know, waiting to be on the fucking Houston Rockets in the twilight of their careers if they knew that, yo, we ended up winning four fucking straight rings at, at Kentucky while we were there. Maybe our second contract, we should probably team up in an NBA team, right? I think that gives you a lot of these what if opportunities to be able to, you know, visit that, you know, the history back of what was. Yeah, it's the NBA had a really good solution for that. And that was the, you know, the respective team earning, having your bird rights, being able to basically offer you 60 million more in a super max contract. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a lot of money. Like you said, that's a, a lot of money for rookies to pass down with their rookie contracts being the way they are now, too. So. I don't see it happening anytime soon, but if it did, bro, that's a fun, a really fun hypothetical yeah. world of seeing these guys 
on a team four years developing with each other. Yeah, 22-year-old Zion Williamson playing college basketball is just... Uh, that's just that's like you playing 2K in rookie mode as you use the yeah. Lakers. Like, come on now, dude. That's just not fair. No, it wasn't fair with fucking 17, 18-year-old yeah. Zion Williamson. <laughs> How would it be with a developed, mature body that has, like, infinite amounts of beignets in no, his body <laughs> now? <laughs> That's a, that's a dub for everybody waiting to happen. Yeah, except for the this. toilets he goes to. <laughs> it's a fucking monster. Oh man, bro. But shit, fam. With that, I, I, I this was always a fun topic to be able to re- revisit. Well, you got anything else to be able to say, bro? That we want to be able to go. No, over? man. Keep coming. We appreciate all the loyal listeners. This was a fun episode. Uh, we're gonna keep doing more of these, man. More of these interesting, uh, poignant topics for the sophisticated sports fans. What are we here for, bro? You got your douchebags here waiting for y'all, and we love y'all, bro. Always. Bye. Bye. Bye.